beginning, we've been going through a series as a church uh, that involves a book called Not a Fan uh, by Kyle Eidelman, who's a pastor, I think, in Kentucky, somewhere in the south. And uh, it just talks about the difference between just being a fan of Jesus, like being like, oh, I like Jesus, and actually following Jesus and putting the hard sayings of Jesus uh, to apply in our own lives and, uh, and letting Jesus actually be the ruler, be the Lord, or be the king of our lives and, and what that looks like every day. So this week uh, is kind of, you're gonna, if you're in a group that watches a DVD, you're going to see the last DVD uh, this week, today, tomorrow, or the next day, or the next day. And uh, then if you're in a book club, you'll be finishing up your book soon. And then we'll actually next week kind of have a little celebration over all this. So I've kind of, this last sermon split into two parts, uh, this week and next week. So there's kind of a part A, part B. It will be a huge cliffhanger at the end. And, and you'll have to come back next week and those kinds of things. Uh, but we have that. And then we have... Um, our Go Serve Sunday. Then on the 29th, we actually have uh, the superintendent of the Liberian churches where we participated uh, last Christmas in building two roofs. Uh, they still need a couple of thousand dollars, and we're going to actually make sure that that happens that day. Uh, I th- we're trying to see if we can print a big fat check, and that would just probably be offensive, but uh, we're, we're actually going to make sure that, like, we participated, but they need 20000 and then they have 20000 matching funds. Last I checked, they have, like, 17 and a half. Uh, so we're going to make sure that that is taken care of that day and meet him, and it'll just be a really cool service and do a little interview with him and enjoy that. Then the first Sunday in July, we're having a family service with a, a, a smaller kids' ministry, so the kids will be in. Brian and Molly Canny are going to visit us that week. They're missionaries that we support as a grove. Uh, in Bolivia, and Bolivia is a country that is uh, hostile towards Christianity. Uh, for example, they, you're not allowed to uh, hold mass gatherings on election days, and so they held an election on Easter, so churches weren't allowed to have services on Easter uh, a couple of years ago. But it's not illegal to be a Christian, it's just incredibly uh, inconvenient. So they're ministering in that country in South America, and they'll be able to share some of the things they're doing. It's really kind of an exciting thing. Then in the summer, We've actually got a series planned on July 13th starting called Bumper Sticker Theology. And uh, we're going to go out in the parking lot and take pictures of your bumper stickers. And, uh, and then, so you'll go home peeling them off. No, but uh, we're going to talk about some of the just uh, uh, catchphrases we have in Christianity. What it means when you put a sticker on your car that says, in case of rapture, this car will be unmanned, right? Uh, that's one of my favorites because I never want to be around them when I'm driving. Just in case there is a rapture. And I don't make it. Because uh, so. then it's a double whammy, right? And you're like, oh, crap, I'm still here, and the car just hit me. So uh, really bad news. But, so let's pray, and then I'd like to get into the Bible. If you have a Bible, it'll be John 6, or if you have an app and you want to open that, and it takes a while, John 6 is where we are today. God, we are really thankful uh, for just the opportunity to live in our town and to live in our time. And just the incredible access we have uh, to the world and uh, to your word. And as we look to you today, God, we just pray that you would speak to us. That you would quiet our hearts to the point where we're able to maybe actually hear from you. And uh, be able to just know uh, that you are God. And that you have this wonderful plan for our lives. And this dream of, of what we can become. Both individually, but also as our church in our city uh, that you love. Uh, so cause these next moments, these next minutes, uh, to really be impactful in our lives and growth moments for us as followers of Jesus. Amen. So, 
John chapter 6 is this really interesting chapter. Uh, Jesus feeds the 5,000, which is this miracle that Jesus does. And then he uh, leaves there and actually walks on water uh, as if feeding the 5,000, which was a miraculous thing. And it's 5,000 men, so maybe up to 15,000 people as Jesus multiplied these loaves and fishes. It's kind of a, if you've never heard this story, you can read the beginning of John 6. It's kind of incredible. And uh, then Jesus walks on water. And, and uh, we're going to read the second half of John chapter 6 where we start to get into what was happening as Jesus was in the area during this time. What The reason, though, that Jesus had to feed the 5,000 or the 15,000, if you include in the count, the women and children, is these people were following Jesus everywhere he went because they had this inclination that he might be uh, the Messiah. And there's this messianic fever because the people in, or in and around Jerusalem at that time uh, were living under Roman oppression. And so the context of their life was in need of uh, salvation, in need of somebody to come and save them, a Messiah. But the saving that they wanted was saving from this earthly oppression. They wanted a new Moses. It was Moses in the Old Testament, and uh, this was a common thought. Moses in the Old Testament freed the Israelites from the Egyptians. We need a new Moses, a new Messiah to free us from the Romans. And he will come and he will do the things that Moses did and, and enact this new era, this messianic age. And so when Jesus comes out and Jesus feeds the 5,000, he provides bread for them, which is what Moses did when there was, if you did Sunday school, there was this stuff called manna that came down from the heavens, and it was kind of a bread-like deal, and uh, that's how the Israelites ate in the wilderness for uh, 40 years for an entire generation. And, and the thought was, the new Moses will do the same, will provide bread for us, he will provide for us. And so when Jesus provides bread for all these people, Oh, we're noticing something. This guy might be the guy. And Jesus walks on water. And so we've got this whole group of people following this miraculous guy. And this, this was a committed group. But in the fan follower scale, they were still kind of on the fan side. Because they liked Jesus. But they liked Jesus being at the front. And we'll follow you, Jesus. You go first. And we'll see how that goes. And then we'll go too. It's like lining up at a water slide and Jesus goes first and then the rest of us, oh, okay, no thank you. Oh, we're really down with this, but there really hasn't been a test of their allegiance. And they, they're really good fans though. Like they're camping out all day to listen to Jesus' teaching. They're sleeping out in the wilderness like they're camping literally so they can pay attention to this teacher. Like they are, like it starts to wonder like maybe they are followers, like they're sacrificing things. They're really into this whole Jesus thing. And, and when Jesus walks across the water, he's actually trying to get away from these crowds, which is a funny thing for Jesus to do. Uh, and then they walk around the lake or around the sea uh, to find him in the morning. And they're like, Jesus, where'd you go? That's weird. Why'd you leave, right? This crowd of 15,000 people following Jesus around. And they, uh, they actually ask him, this is in verse uh, 25, we're going to start in 26, but it says, when the crowd found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And, and this is where we end up with Jesus starting to answer these people, wondering if, if these people are fans or followers. Jesus needs to have, like we talked about six, seven weeks ago, Jesus needs to have that DTR talk with them. 
that define the relationship talk. He's got this crowd of people that are following him, and he needs them to understand what it means for them to move forward in their relationship. This is what Jesus says. Truly, I say to you, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to, to eternal life, which the Son of Man has given to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. So Jesus gives the definition of the relationship. You're not following me because of miracles. You're following me because of free food. Right? Tell me you wouldn't vote for the politician who promised free food. Well, depending on the food, right? But if somebody, when I was younger, and, my, and I voted, I'm not a citizen, so I don't do that. But when I was younger, if someone said, hey, free pizza for all the college students, I would have voted for them. I was that shallow, all right? <laughs> this is the group. Hey, this is the leader who's going to give us free food. I like that leader. I'm going to follow that leader, right? And then you had the news or whatever, the news who didn't think that they should have had free food, slamming Jesus for his long hair and wearing a bathrobe, right? Like he wore that white thing with a blue sash. Like, why was he doing that? He's obviously a terrorist or something, right? Uh, but Jesus pushes into them and says, you're only following me because of the free food. And you actually shouldn't be thinking about the free physical food. You should be thinking about the food that my father gives. So he uses a metaphor. He says, do not labor for the food that perishes, which means goes bad, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man has given you, which was Jesus' name for himself, the Son of Man, a messianic title, for God has set his seal, or God has given his approval of Jesus. Jesus is saying that he's ushering in a new era of eternal life, and that's what you should be working towards, not working towards your regular everyday food. Which does not mean you should quit your job. <laughs> you still need to eat your regular everyday food. What it does mean is you shouldn't follow the first leader who promises you a free lunch. That's why there's a problem with the shallow college students voting for whoever. This is where Jesus pushes. He defines the relationship before he says, we need to have a define the relationship talk. He just shoves the definition onto the people. So they say to Jesus, what must we do then? What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answers, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. There's the work of God, believing in him who he has sent, which he just said, was himself. So belief in Jesus is the work of God. So they said to him, I think it sounds easy, right? Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. Remember that Moses thing. As it was written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So what are you going to do? Like if you want us to follow you, Moses gave us food. You apparently aren't going to give us any more food. What will you give us? Do you see how they're missing what Jesus just said? Jesus says, believe in, and they say, prove it. Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, 
meaning your forefathers or your families. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, as they had missed breakfast that morning and were beginning to think about lunch, Sir, give us this bread always. Do you see what they keep going back to? Like Jesus is having this conversation and they're having this conversation. Jesus is talking about eternal things. Jesus is talking about salvation. He's talking about following him. And they're keep going back to. So wh- how do we get, where's the, where's the bread? So how do we, when are we going to eat now? Is this, is this sermon over? Are we hitting Costco soon, right? It's, so God or Jesus is over here having that conversation and the listeners are over here having that conversation. Which I know doesn't happen to us. Where God's over here having this conversation in our lives and we're over here thinking our lives need to be having this conversation. God is talking about eternal things and destiny for your life and you're over here wondering about this thing or that thing and all these things that you think are important. It's a tough place to be because when you're over here, you don't know you're over there. You know what I mean? Because you think this is the conversation that God needs to be having right now. Because you have those bills piling up. Because you have that uncertainty. Because you have those relationships that are falling apart. This is immediate. Like these people aren't just saying they're hungry. Like they haven't eaten today. They have no food. This is kind of important. Here's where Jesus goes. (laughs) You want the bread always? Here it is. Jesus said to them, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Which he's talking about metaphorically, but they're so hungry, they're thinking, there's drinks too? (laughs) Verse 36, But I have said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come from, sorry, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, being God. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks to the Son, sorry, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up, on the last day. Jesus breaks down two major theological systems right there. And I don't want to talk theology. I want to be practical today. But there are some who think uh, that the people who are saved are elect, like God chooses them. And the second half of this verse agrees with that, the second half of this passage. Then there are others who say, we choose God. That's where I tend to lean. And uh, the first half of this passage supports that. Jesus dismantles both and says, nice job, guys. Write more books about that garbage that nobody cares about, right? But there's some kind of dynamic going on here where Jesus actually says what he's here for is so that people will no longer hunger and thirst. This is metaphor. You still get hungry. All the Christians I know eat. All the Christians I know, the best Christians, have to drink water at some point. What God is talking about, sorry, what Jesus is talking about is the desires 
that seem to overwhelm you no longer do so. So that when you're over here having this conversation, it's because of desires that you have for security, safety, for love, or affection. You have these things that are valid things that you want or that you even need. And your desire tends to be turned towards those. And when Jesus, when you look upon Jesus and you believe in Jesus and you put your full trust in Jesus, what Jesus himself defines as a follower is someone whose desires are actually fulfilled completely in Jesus. Someone who can say that Jesus is actually enough. Jesus plus nothing equals everything I could ever need or want or desire. This sounds pie in the sky, doesn't it? This sounds like the Green Beret Christians could do this. The Navy SEAL Christians could do this. Because I need Jesus plus someone to love me. I need Jesus plus some kind of fulfillment in my career. I need Jesus plus a job. I need Jesus plus some kind of security. I need Jesus plus a financial plan. I need Jesus plus my kids to be better than they are. Your kids can be awesome and you still think they need to be better than they are. There are some bad kids out there, trust me. <laughs> Most of yours aren't those. The <laughs> I know every one of you went, oh, mine are the bad ones. <laughs> but there is this other desire that tends to creep in and we try to partner that with Jesus. Like I've got Jesus, I follow Jesus, the whole Jesus thing is down. We're solid, I have a super relationship with Jesus. I serve Jesus, I converse with Jesus, I have prayer times, I'm growing in my faith, this is great. But then when something else falls apart, or when we hit trial, we start to notice the other things that we think we need. And we start to notice how Jesus, who we thought fulfilled our every desire, isn't fulfilling this desire over here. For the crowd, it was so simple. They were hungry. Like they were hungry. And I love to condemn them because this is me. When I'm hungry, I am hangry. <laughs> I am not nice when I'm hungry. Like you don't want to be in my family on the day that I forget to eat, which sounds stupid, but is a regular occurrence. You drink a coffee, you get to three o'clock, and you wonder why you hate everyone. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's that thing we do where we put the food in our mouth and then we, we smile. So I love to condemn them because I don't have this problem. I don't need anything but Jesus until you hit something that's incredibly difficult. What happens when the security that you built for yourself disappears? Whether that security is financial or relational or career-oriented or school-oriented, you hit that crisis 
and it actually reveals to you the places in your life where Jesus isn't fulfilling the way you thought he was. In this way, crisis becomes this weird gift to us. It becomes this revealing, refining fire that allows us to see where Jesus can fill us more. Because as much as we open our lives to Jesus, we keep these small corners and small areas where we need some certain things to happen so that we can express the joy of the Lord. It is that Jesus blesses me and so I respond in this way. God has blessed me and so I bless others. When what the scripture teaches is it doesn't matter what God is doing in your life, bless others. It doesn't matter your circumstances, live in the joy of the Lord. Enjoy the peace that the Spirit gives. No matter the storm that is existing around you. No matter how hungry you are, or how oppressive the Roman army is, or how great that bread tasted last night, when we go to Jesus and say, I need this. Like, I, lo I love you, Jesus, plus I need this over here, and then we're good. Because if Jesus plus nothing is everything that we could ever want, then Jesus plus anything equals nothing. That's Jesus' DTR talk with this crowd. You follow me for the free stuff. Which is actually a fantastic little moment. Free stuff seems to be the Achilles heel of our culture. You pay $150 to go to a Blazers game, and they shoot a $3 t-shirt out of a cannon, and you completely lose your dignity thinking that they might shoot that thing your way. And it's like size medium. And you don't have the kind of build for size medium, right? I won a size medium shirt the other day, and everyone's like, you should wear it to preach, man. Right? We'll do that on the Sunday everyone's gone. <laughs> there is this moment when we have this free stuff, and we just lose it. And here's a crowd that sees free stuff. Stuff that Jesus is giving me. And if we understand our theology of Jesus and blessing correctly then everything that we receive is actually a gift from God. So the security that you have is God-given. The job that you have, the family that you have, the relationships that you have. The breath you're going to take later, gift. You didn't earn it. You didn't do something to deserve it. In fact, just the opposite is likely true in God's economy because the Bible teaches that we're all sinners and we've all fallen short of the standard of holiness and perfection that God is. And so we don't deserve to be blessed by him or in his presence or in connection with him at all. And when Jesus comes and bridges that gap, everything changes so that we can live in God's economy where everything is gift, where nothing is deserved, and actually nothing else is needed. So we can get to the point which some theologians call holiness where our desires are fully for Jesus more and more so 
and the desires that we would try to add on to Jesus seem to fade away because our fulfillment is found in him. Is Jesus enough? Now, a lot of those things and those desires tend to be obvious stuff. They tend to be like, I need Jesus plus I need security or love or relationships or I need to succeed in my career or my school in order to feel good. For Christians, for fans, I would say, the harder ones are like, I need Jesus plus I need my honor. I need Jesus plus I need my reputation. I need Jesus plus I need a certain perception of others to have of me. And it's not pride. No, I'm being a good witness. I need Jesus plus I need these things that the Christian community will just kind of accept because everybody's suffering from basically the same thing. I need Jesus plus I need people to turn a blind eye to how I really am and the doubts that I really have instead of living in the fulfillment that Jesus provides. Now up to this point, you can point fingers at everyone else. And now you're thinking, uh, try to look comfortable so that nobody thinks it's me he's talking to. I've got a whole list of things I need in addition to Jesus. Uh, like, it's a big list. And it's all things that are terrible. I need Jesus, plus I need to be a certain way, or plus I need to be a certain level of coolness. I need Jesus, plus I need to have friends who are a certain level of coolness as well. If you go to the Grove, you qualify, so don't worry. If you leave, you're out. But that might be even worse, because that's kind of true. I need Jesus, plus I need the pride that I have in being a leader of an awesome church. And we start to fall into these traps and fall into this thinking that actually pulls us more and more towards these desires and these fulfillments. And we stop having the ability to let Jesus fulfill those desires. The Bible calls this hardness of heart. Because Jesus will convict me of things and I'll say, yes, Jesus, but I need this thing. Like there are other people I know who have really bad sins this one, I just need to be cool. That's not, a, that's not a bad sin. You want me to be cool, right, Jesus? I need my reputation. And yet Jesus pushes and pushes. And the more you push back, the Bible describes that as hardness of heart. And the harder your heart gets, it isn't that Jesus becomes unable or unable to break that heart. It becomes harder and harder for you to sense the leading or the conviction of God or of the Holy Spirit in your life. It becomes harder and harder for you to identify the things that you're adding to Jesus. The more you keep going back to, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. Oh, so where's that bread? Oh, there's drinks too? The less you're able to catch that Jesus is having that conversation over there and you're stuck over here. This is why if you go to churches and someday the grove will be like this, a hundred years from now, that'll be terrible. Oh, hopefully I'm dead by then. 
But you go to some churches and the crankiest people in that church have been Christians that they measure by the decades, right? When I was a teenager, I had one of these cranky people pull me aside in the back of church and just ream into me because I was talking during church. And he was like, do you think Jesus would be talking during church? And all I could think was like, yes, because that was freaking boring. Like Jesus would be bored and he would talk to his friends. I didn't say it. It was one of the moments where I won that little fight with my mouth. But this is a guy, and I still, I'll remember this for the rest of my life, who had, was this Christian guy and this supposed example, and the only thing I got from him was crankiness. That's all I learned from him is that when I'm old and I'm a Christian, I should be really cranky, and I should really hate the people who aren't as cranky as me. Do you wonder why I took a break from the whole church thing, right? And maybe you've had that experience, and maybe you've lived through it, which is incredible. And by, like, I mean, maybe you've continued to be able to follow Jesus. But as we push back, push back, push back, we don't realize. Like those cranky people in their churches, they actually have no idea how sad they are. Because they push back, push back, push back, so they can no longer sense God's conviction in their life. They can no longer sense what it is to follow God, what it is to follow Jesus. So when we started this whole series, we put out this little flyer, join a life group. Here's what we said. Are there moments in your life when you feel like you're just blending in, like you're just part of an audience? Are there times in your life when you wish you could really engage Sorry, I read that wrong. Are there times when you wish you could really engage in your life? Maybe you really need to take a stand for something. Maybe what you really need is to be a follower and not a fan. Maybe it's time to do something. And a lot of us and a lot of you have started to sense God's call or God's hand or God's moving in your life, especially during this series. And your choice becomes, I hold on to something else. Because God's call will push, right? He's going to push past the comfort or the hunger or the coolness or the desire that you supposedly have that you want to hold on to. And if you have the strength and the fortitude to refuse him, then the next time it becomes easier to refuse him. And eventually you can't hear him at all. Because God's call isn't to just learn more theology about him, but is to actually be fulfilled completely in Jesus. So that the other desires of our lives, which seem so overwhelming, do not destroy us. And let me back up and say, like they are really bad. Some of us are going through things that are absolutely terrible. And when in that situation, Jesus looks at the whole situation and the question that's pushed on you is, is Jesus enough? And if he's not, then you push back and push back and push back. Here's the easiest example for me to pull out of this. In our church, we baptize people. We dunk them underwater. We don't have a dunker, so we get in this uh, horse trough thing 
It's incredibly cold water because the hot water here lasts about 30 seconds. And we don't heat it because we think you should suffer to follow Jesus, apparently. <laughs> I don't understand why, we just don't. <laughs> it's probably my fault. We dunk people underwater. And that's called baptism. It's a command of Jesus. Uh, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, commanded. It's a command of the early church in Acts 2, 38. Peter, who was the first leader of the early church, actually says people need to repent and be baptized. That's what it is to follow Jesus. Then we do baptisms. And sometimes standing in front of people and letting a grown adult dunk you underwater so you're drenched, and your makeup runs and your hair looks bad and your comb over goes the wrong way, it's frustrating because it's so terrifying. And so we see people in our church say, ah, uh, not this time. I'm going to push back. So here's the will of, what's the will of God? To follow Jesus. Jesus got baptized and says, go get baptized. And we say, next time. And then when it comes around next time and the pastor is like, hey, we can get baptized. It's like, you know what? I still have that problem. I still have that excuse. And, and my family's not in town this weekend. So I'm not going to do that. And we push back, and we push back. And eventually, we'll bring up baptism, and it'll be like a blip. Because you've been like, I'm not getting baptized so many times that you're able to actually ignore the call of God on your life. And then you start to wonder why you don't hear God as much. There's got to be that wonder, why does God not convict me the way he used to? Because you've mastered the ignoring of God. Like you've hardened your heart. You've been successful at the thing that you were trying to do. And it's not like a, a guilt thing. I'm not saying, hey, you have to get baptized. What I'm saying is it's a wonderful thing to realize that no matter how hard your heart is, God can break it. You cannot build something so big that God can't move it. And we've seen that. And we've seen God do incredible things in people's lives. Now, we've been having conversations about baptism. And one of the things we do during baptism, here's, the th here's what's awesome. Nobody's actually afraid of getting dunked under the water. They're afraid of doing the little speech, right? I was afraid of the little speech, and I do speeches. It's terrifying. I was baptized when I was a kid, the day before I turned 12 or the day before I was 13. And it, but I had to go through this whole class I didn't really understand what was going on. The girl I took it with was kind of pretty, so it was all right. And we went through this whole class. I remember one thing from the class, and it's awkward, and it's a conjecture theologically. And then I got baptized. When I read the Bible, I can't find the class. I also can't find the speech. It's weird. Because every baptism I've ever seen included the speech. Like every like, I've baptized people, I baptized people in a lake, and they do a speech. I've never thought anything of it, because every baptism I've ever seen has a speech. Then you read Acts chapter 8, amazing chapter. Uh, Philip, who is one of the early followers of Jesus, ends up meeting this guy from Ethiopia who's reading the Bible, and the, he hears him reading, because he's reading out loud, and he says, do you understand what you're reading? He's like, how would I understand what I'm reading unless somebody explains this to me? This Ethiopian guy who's riding in this cart goes like, 
I know there's something here, but I can't find anyone to tell me. So Philip hops up, they're riding along, he explains it. He's like, well, man, I am totally down with that. And becomes a follower of Jesus, right along the road. They keep riding. He sees some water, says, hey, there's some water. Is there anything to stop me from getting baptized? Uh, Philip does not say, have you taken the class? <laughs> he does not say, have you written a speech? He does not say, do you have a change of clothes? He doesn't say any of that. He goes, all right. Dunk, pull out. Ta-da! The freaky part of the story is then Philip is actually transported. The Holy Spirit time travels Philip to another place. Very, very unusual, but very, very awesome story. It's why I'd witness to Ethiopians in carts all the time. <laughs> That's not true at all. But, but if I ever saw one, you're dang sure I'm getting on that cart and explaining the scripture to him. And then saying, hey, this, did you notice that water? Any thoughts? <laughs> right? <laughs> But what we fall into, what we fall into is building up these excuses as a, as a group. And here's, here's why I use baptism as an example. And from the very beginning, when we started this series, we said maybe this series will do things in people's lives. Maybe. And we hope and we pray and we lean in that way and, and just have this desire that God would work in our lives as individuals in our church. And we start to hear these little stories about God convicting and God moving and people maybe who've built up walls around their own self-righteousness, God's been able to break through those walls. And so here's where we want to go. Next week, we want to fill up the tank and put some water in it. And if this has been a series where God's been speaking to you and you haven't been baptized, maybe that's something we should do. Maybe as I'm talking, and I'm talking about that wall that you've built up, you've been able to say, yeah, I can't do that. I'm a grown adult person. People will think that's terrible. Here's what I want to tell you. Because I was planning on saying this for months, and I got to have a conversation with a pastor who's 63. I really look up for this guy. I voted for him to be superintendent. It was the only vote he got. <laughs> I can pick him. <laughs> he didn't promise me free bread or anything. But this guy, 63 years old, tells me, when I was a baby, they baptized me, like as a baby. And nothing to say theological or whatever, but we believe in something called believer's baptism. And babies believe in Jesus about as much as you can imagine babies believe in Jesus. And for him, baptism, when it's your own choice, by your own volition, is significantly more of a commitment to follow Jesus. And so this guy, who is a pastor of a church, at the next baptisms his church does in a couple weeks, he's going to get baptized. The pastor, who's older than you, who's been following Jesus as long as you've been alive, and has just put it off, put it off, put it off. He looks at me and says, I really think I need to obey Jesus like this. Isn't that wild? I didn't even talk to him about this thing. He just pulled this out of the air so that I would have this great story to tell you. <laughs> because sometimes you think, well, I wasn't baptized when I was 12, like Pastor James, or not at camp when I was a teenager or on a mission trip or something. And then I just wasn't baptized during my 20s because I was doing the whole 
rebel, rebel thing. And then I got married and I get baptized because I had the kids. And what am I supposed to do with my kids when I'm underwater? Your excuses got more ridiculous, but you didn't notice because your heart was getting hard. And we're going to open next week for baptisms. And here's the deal. There's no class. If you want a class, I can call you. I can talk to you on the phone. There's no speech. Because as much as I love hearing those speech, I think you hate doing the speeches. Unless you really want to do a speech, you can do a speech. When you get baptized, we'll give you a microphone. You can say pretty much anything you want once you have the microphone. But what we want to do is open up a service next week where we actually say, I'm following Jesus. And next week becomes a celebration of the things that God has done in our life over the past two months. So there's no form for you to fill in or anything like that. You'll need to get in touch with me or just show up with a change of clothes, I guess. And we might have one person get baptized. We might have 10 people get, it doesn't matter to me. We're not advertising it or putting a bulletin or doing a big push. This isn't so that we can turn in a better stat sheet. We've already turned it in for the year. We're screwed, right? It really is because this is the will of God that he calls you to. And it's something that I feel like God wanted us to open up. Because I feel like getting baptized is a major step in following God, in following Jesus, in saying I'm not a fan, I'm a follower. So you can email me, james at albanygrove. You can email actually anything at albanygrove and that, all that spam comes to me. You can type anything you want at albanygrove.com, it comes to me. And you can Facebook me, text me, whatever you want. Talk to me after church today. And let's obey God and follow him in everything that we are. Baptism is just one of those areas. But let's push into breaking down the hardness of our own hearts so that we can actually declare that Jesus is enough, that Jesus is everything that I need, and that when I have Jesus, I actually have everything that God has to offer. Let me pray for us, all right? Lord, we want to just commit ourselves to being um, real followers of you. And there are some of us here who you've been speaking to this morning, maybe in ways that we've normally pushed back on, and that we've built up this hardness in our hearts and this ability to disobey, which really is sin. Because a choice to actively unparticipate in what God is doing in our lives is a choice to move away from God. And so I pray that you would strengthen us, that your spirit would empower us, like the Bible says, not that we're awesome or able, but that you are. Not that we're able to break down the hardness of our heart, but you are. And allow us to follow you. Allow us to experience the joy that it is when Jesus is enough. By your grace and your great mercy, we pray. Amen.